without us. Thank you. Glory, hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, welcome again to uh, another Sunday service here at the Roanoke-Salem Missionary Baptist Church. We are located right outside of Garrysburg, North Carolina, beautiful little town there, and we're in the wonderful vicinity of Northampton County. Uh, our motto here at Roanoke-Salem is the end of your search for a friendly church, and we do our very best to live up to that motto. We uh, want to ask you to, if you will, turn to the book of St. Matthew, uh, the 28th chapter, verses 19 and 20. That's where our mission statement for our church family comes from, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, Go ye therefore, Jesus himself was speaking when he said to the disciples, Go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. Amen. want to thank Derek and April and Jasmine uh, Smith, my little doll baby, for being here with me in the sanctuary this morning. Certainly want to thank uh, Steve and Elijah and Marvin for coming and uh, ministering through music. And we're Ricky, we're still missing you. We're looking forward to you coming back. And uh, just a quick update that uh, Deacon Woodrow Hardy Jr. Sonny is doing well and making progress. And we're praying for all of our church family, praying for folks everywhere. Wherever you are, whatever the situation is, uh, if we know about it, we're going to pray for you. We're going to have an opening selection now from the musicians, and we'll continue on with service. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
Thank you, fellas. We really appreciate that. Now, that's probably got folks really bouncing in their chairs or wherever they are at home right now or listening over the call-in conference call line. We just hope that that song has gotten your spiritual energy moving because we want you to know that God is a real live God and he's able to do anything but fail if you just trust him and do your best to obey him. God can do and he will do the rest for us. Want to um, take time again now to formally welcome all of you who are uh, tuning in. Like I said, you might be live streaming now uh, through Facebook Live. Whether you be here in North Carolina or out of state, we welcome you. We love you. Uh, those of you who are uh, in the body of Christ, we welcome you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And those of you who may be watching and you're not saved, we love you and we welcome you with the love of Jesus Christ as well. And certainly for those, as I say, who are on the call-in line, uh, church members and others, we welcome you. And we are so glad that you've taken time to uh, be with us on this Sunday morning. Want to, um, by way of announcements, if you will, just share one thing in particular. Uh, this afternoon that we will be celebrating uh, the homegoing of Deacon Paul Lee. Uh, Deacon Lee was a um, nice, kind, wonderful man. Uh, he was a member of the uh, First, uh, First Baptist Church of Hodgetown, which is located in Roanoke Rapids. Some people refer to it as First Baptist Roanoke Rapids. He was chair deacon there. Um, he worked for years and years with the H.D. Pope Funeral Home in Roanoke Rapids and just uh, managing the business for Mr. Pope and just doing an excellent job. All of us who had opportunity to engage and interact with him, uh, we will all tell you that he was just absolutely uh, outstanding at his work. But he also had connections to Roanoke Salem because his mother, uh, dear sister Pauline Lee, was a member here for many, many, many years. And so uh, Deacon Lee had connections right here at Roanoke Salem as well. 
And um, he is, his home going is this afternoon at 2 o'clock over at H.G. Pope Funeral Home. But then after that, uh, they're going to bring uh, Deacon Lee's remains here, and he will be buried in the cemetery here at Roanoke-Salem. And that should be around 3.30 or so. Of course, that time could be flexible one way or the other, but um, his remains will be here uh, with his mom and other members of his family. So we just want to uh, lift the family up this morning and ask you to continue to pray for them. Um, also, being that this is Black History Month, I want to share with you a little bit of black history, uh, again, coming from right here in the state of North Carolina. I want to talk about John Haywood Baker, Jr. Some of you remember uh, John Baker as the sheriff of Wake County for many of years. Uh, this was shared by the Enfield Police Department. It says, uh, known for his larger-than-life six-foot-seven statue, and his booming voice, uh, Baker was the first black sheriff in North Carolina since the Reconstruction, and he held office from 1978 until 2002. He grew up in the Oberlin community of Raleigh, and he attended Legion High School. He graduated from North Carolina Central University, my alma mater, uh, in 1958, and then that same year, 1958, he was drafted uh, 56 overall by the Los Angeles Rams. He played pro football for 12 years with several different teams. But in the offseason, uh, Mr. Baker would work with the Raleigh Police Department as a youth counselor. And when he retired from the NFL, he returned to his hometown, Raleigh, and he became the first black person appointed to the state parole board. And he served on that uh, for eight years until he was uh, elected sheriff of Wake County in 1978. In many ways, Baker's competitive spirit from his football days carried on as a theme throughout his life as he took on a new game, the game of politics. During his time as sheriff, uh, Sheriff Baker helped create a program that allowed young jail offenders to continue their education at the John H. Baker Jr. Charter School. So, you know, that's outstanding that this man cared enough about those young folks who were uh, incarcerated for whatever reason, and those who wanted to could avail themselves of an education. So today we salute and honor um, former Wake County Sheriff John Haywood Baker, Jr. And um, thank April for making this information available to me, and thank again the Enfield Police Department for putting it there. So just want to share that. Um, want to thank everybody again for your wonderful giving from week to week, month to month, and you're doing so well. And please continue to be led by the Lord and be obedient to his word in your sharing of tithes and offerings. Both our own members, thank you, and those of you who are from other uh, churches or out of the area, and you also give to us as well, and we thank you. I'd like to remind you every week there are three ways you can give if you so choose. First of all, you certainly can come by the church if you live in this area, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. Uh, Ms. Jean Sykes generally will be the person here, and she'll greet you and, and gladly receive your tithes and offerings. You also have the option of mailing in your tithes and offerings. Uh, you would mail them to P.O. Drawer Z, P.O. Drawer Z, Garysburg, North Carolina, 27831. P.O. Drawer Z, Garysburg, 27831. And then, of course, you also have the option 
uh, being able to share your tithes and offerings online. If you go to our Roanoke-Salem homepage, which is rsmbc.com, you go to that page, and when you select that and it opens up, the very first page you will see across the top, you will see three or four tabs. One of those tabs says giving, and if you will click on or select that tab that says giving, then you will be directed as to how you can share your tithes and offerings online. So we thank you, thank you, thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts, and, and, and we thank you because you are honoring the will of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by making sure that there, is re there are resources uh, for us to carry out the, the work of this ministry. And like many other churches in this area, we, we do as much as we can for as many as we can, and we don't limit what we do in terms of sharing our financial resources with just members of Roanoke-Salem. Uh, we are willing and able, depending on the circumstances, to help those who are not members of, of this church as well. So we want to thank you for that. It's time now for morning prayer. And um, as we transition into morning prayer, I just simply want to say that I want, it's, it's been on my heart to say to, to everybody, uh, please try to add some fasting to your spiritual walk. I'm not going to tell you how to fast. You have to make that determination. I'll share a couple of points. Most fasting for most people will be a fasting of food. And that is certainly what we see uh, in God's word, the Bible, a fasting of food. In other words, uh, you decide to give up a meal or maybe a couple of meals, you know, for whatever period of time, over several days, you may give up one meal. You may give up one meal each a day or a couple of meals each day, but whatever way you decide to do it. Now, food is not the only way to fast. Of course, people you fast from other things, specific things. If, if you're a big soda drinker, maybe you fast from drinking sodas. If, if you're a big uh, candy eater or whatever it may be, it could be watching television, it could be time you spend on the, the internet or on the computer, whatever it may be. But I'm gonna ask you to consider uh, do adding fasting to your spiritual walk daily. Uh, of course, now, as far as food is concerned, you need to check with your doctor or whoever your health care provider is to make sure that there's not going to be an issue as far as your physical health. God doesn't want you to fast to the point of making yourself sick. So you check in with your doctor first to find out if fasting will work for you and, and what type of fasting you should do or can or cannot do related to anything related to food and medication. But other than that, please add fasting to your routine. And um, you'll find that God will honor that and you will be empowered. You'll hear from the Lord clearer uh, if you're willing to show him that you're willing to sacrifice something of human flesh and desire uh, to give him glory. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, first and foremost, we just thank you that you bless us to have another day on this side of eternity in your world. We ask you now, Lord Jesus, to uh, look upon, continue to look with loving kindness on all humanity. Lord God, we have specific uh, challenges that we each may have in our lives, and we lift those up to you because you said in your word we could cast our cares upon you 
because you care for us. But Lord, beyond just casting our own individual problems and trials and troubles with you on you, we're also asking you to bless this world, bless this nation. Lord God, I continue to, and we continue to uh, petition you, take the COVID virus out of your world, Lord. Take it out completely. But until such time as you decide to do that, we thank you for the vaccinations, uh, the vaccines that you've given us, and we pray that you will continue to help the vac vaccination of people uh, happen swiftly and safely and fairly, Lord, all over the land and all over the world. Lord God, we continue to pray that you'll bring peace and healing to this wounded nation. We are still divided in many ways, but Lord, all of us are not hateful people. All of us are not uh, angry and mad. All of us don't have the attitude that if you don't see things my way, then we can't get along and we can't be friends. That's just foolishness and ignorance that we hear from some people. Most of us, Lord, simply want to live and let live. Let your peace and your uh, spirit of, of, of unity fall down on this land and let those in power Always remember that there is a higher power over them. Yes, bless the president, the vice president, everybody that's been elected or appointed to lead and serve. But also, Lord, remind them by putting men and women of God around them that they have to answer for their decisions and their actions as well, as you remind us daily, Lord. So help us to be all that you called us to be. Lord, we can't do it on our own. I know I can't, and I know we, we can't. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in our daily living. Holy Spirit, come and continue to walk with us that are saved and remind us what Jesus taught and encourage us to live holy by the power that's in the name of Jesus. And most of all, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our brothers and sisters in this world, in humanity who are not saved, help us to be uh, useful in bringing them to recognize that they need to confess their sins and to give their lives to Jesus Christ so that they also can have their souls saved, they can have the best life possible now and have the assurance of being in heaven with the Lord Jesus when this life is over. These are the things we lift up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. We will now have the sermonic selection and then we will have the word for today.
Father, we thank you now for this opportunity to preach and teach your word, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll use me as you will. Let me preach and teach with clarity and conviction, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In your name, Jesus, I pray, amen. If you will turn with me, please, back to the book of 1 Peter, the epistles of 1 Peter way back to the right in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Today is the second part of a uh, two-part series I started on first Sunday. Um, the name of the series is Living for Christ. Living for Christ is the name of the series. And today's message is part two and the final part uh, of this series. 1 Peter Chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. This is from the New International Version. This is how it reads. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. 
Amen. Today's message, this second part, the second and final message uh, of this series is called, This is How We Do It. This is how we do it. Now, this sermon, as I've already said, is the second and final uh, message in a series that I call Living for Christ. On, on first Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, I shared the first message, and that, that sermon was called Don't Turn Back. Um, this two-part series, as you now see, originates from the writing of St. Peter, who was one of Jesus Christ's most infamous and loyal apostles. Yeah, Peter was famous, but he was also infamous for a lot of reasons. P Peter was the one who publicly declared that he would never leave Jesus' side. He said, everybody else may leave you, Lord, but I'm, I'm going to stay right here with you. Amen. But then when the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter was the one, he was the only apostle who tried to protect Jesus. But then later, when Jesus was in custody, because the Roman soldiers did, in fact, take him away because that was God's will, that was part of the plan. And, and, and later, when Jesus was in custody, Peter was asked if he knew who Jesus was. He was standing with a group of people right outside of the judgment hall, of Herod's judgment hall. And he was asked three different times, don't you know Jesus? Weren't, weren't you with him? And he denied know, knowing Jesus three different times. So this is the same man who told and swore to Jesus, I'll never leave you. And then he denied knowing him three times. But what I want us to appreciate is that uh, Peter was often conflicted in his love and his loyalty for Jesus. Peter was often conflicted. Uh, in his love and his loyalty to Jesus. And sometimes, church family, we're conflicted too. No need for us to act like we are so high and mighty and so spiritually strong and always on point because the truth is we're not. And even though I may not know what it is that you struggle with spiritually, you know and God knows. It may not be a public display, but all of us struggle in some way spiritually from time to time. So let's not be too uh, judgmental about Peter. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he gave Peter a specific assignment. And Peter was emboldened by the power of the resurrected Savior, and he became a great leader of the early church. In fact, the first church family, if you will. Peter was one of the great leaders of that early church. Uh, in the first sermon, I examined Peter's letter to the Christians who were suffering persecution from the Romans, and they were also being persecuted from other Jews who did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was, in fact, the Messiah. That's why Peter wrote this epistle, these epistles. He wrote this because there were Christian brothers and sisters all over the land who were being persecuted, and, and some of them even unto death. And Peter wrote these epistles to encourage them uh, that even in their suffering, not to give up their faith, not to turn back from their following and, and, and living to, to honor Jesus Christ. Peter encouraged his Christian brothers and sisters to rejoice in their suffering for the name and the work of Jesus. Peter reminded them, and he reminds us that Jesus himself suffered emotional and physical pain to overcome the sins of the world. Whose sins were they? They were our sins. They weren't Jesus' sins. Jesus didn't sin at all. 
But Jesus suffered emotional and physical pain to overcome our sins. Peter tells Christians to not worry when sinners hate us for choosing Jesus over them. I say that to people today, and I want you to hear me clearly. Don't you be upset. Don't be surprised, but don't get upset and discouraged and despondent. Don't get angry when folks get mad with you because you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you choose to stop living a selfish, worldly life. Amen. Because Peter reminds us that a day is coming where Jesus will judge and punish all unforgiven sinners. And on that same day, the saints of God will be rewarded. But until that judgment day comes, Peter encourages Christians to live to please Jesus and don't turn back into a life of willful sin. Now, now that was from the message from First Sunday. Today, beginning here in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse number 7, Peter says, he starts out by saying, the end of all things is near. Peter is referring to the second coming of Christ. He's referring to the second coming of Christ. Um, the second coming of Christ, now, there is the rapture event that happens, and some people call that the second coming, but the rapture and the second coming are two different events. The second coming is, ref uh, the rapture is referred to in um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 17. You can find it uh, other places. That's, that's the rapture. That's what that's referred to, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But the rapture is when Jesus comes back and appears in the sky, and he calls on those who died in Christ to come up from the dead, and they go and they meet him in the sky. And then after those who are dead in Christ rise first and go up, then the next thing that happens is that those of us who are still living at that time, we also are taken up, and then we go away with Jesus. Now, that's the rapture. The second coming is when Jesus comes back and reestablishes his kingdom here on this earth. So as we continue on in verse uh, number seven, Peter starts to get at the main focus of this message. He, he told us that the end of, of all things is near, and, and, and Jesus could come back at any time. And with that information, Peter says that Christians should be determined to be clear-minded, to be clear-minded, to be focused on the word, and to be self-controlled. That means to be disciplined in our bodies and to live holy. These, are these two things are challenging to most Christians. And I raise my hand, they certainly are challenging to me. I know that uh, they are challenging for us. Why? Because there are so many non-Christian people and there are places and there are things and there are activities that compete for control of our minds and, dis and there are things that distract us from living to please Jesus. As human beings, we, we've got to deal with, first of all, the devil, who is the enemy of all hum humanity, not just Christians. He's the, he's the enemy of all humanity because he wants every person to die and go to hell. But when we're Christians, then the devil is our enemy. He's always trying to trip us up and make us go back into sin and, 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 and uh, have a, find, be found in sin when Jesus returns. And then we also have to deal with people. And like I said, folks who want to uh, try to get us to live the way they live or see things the way they see things. And if they're contrary to God's word and we say, no, we can't, I can't go with you on that. I can't, 
can't agree with you on that, then of course people, some of them will turn against us and actually begin to attack us. And then of course we have our own human emotions, our own human flesh, and our own fleshly desires that we have to struggle with or at least be challenged by from time to time in our lives. So there's so many different things that distract us and that pull at us that would keep us from living a life that follows, that, that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand this this morning. God the Father did not set us up to fail. Amen. He did not set humanity up to fail. In other words, he didn't save us from our sins by sacrificing Jesus on the cross only to have us then turn around and not be able to live in the power of, of, of that's in the name of Jesus and to live holy after Jesus made that sacrifice. God the Father did not set us up to fail. He sent Jesus, uh, his son and our savior, to die for our sins. And it was a painful, horrible, shameful death on the cross. But Jesus went and died anyway. And not only did he die for our sins, Jesus then reconciled us back to the Father. He, he cleaned us up spiritually so that we could have fellowship with the Father again. And that process was completed when Jesus rose from the dead on what we call Easter Sunday morning. After Jesus went back to heaven, you know, he rose from the dead. He spent 40 days here on the earth, and he was seen by many people, including the disciples. But then after he went back to heaven, God the Father then sent God the Holy Spirit to earth to, be a, to teach us, to guide us, and to help us live holy. The Holy Spirit is here to teach us, to guide us, and to help us live holy, those of us who are saved. The Holy Spirit has the power to help us be what? Clear-minded and self-controlled. The Holy Spirit can help us live a life where we are clear-minded and we are in self-control. If we submit to his authority, because even though the Holy Spirit has the power of Jesus Christ and, uh, uh, and, and he himself is God, we still have free will. We can reject the Holy Spirit. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way with us and if we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, we will have a victorious life that's pleasing to God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, this same epistle, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just and for the unjust. He died for once and for all. He died for the just, which are saved people, and the unjust so that he might bring us to God, the Father, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Holy Spirit. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are made alive again by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to share four activities that Peter says we should engage in as we wait for Jesus to return. The first one he says, and it's found right there in, in verse, number, uh, verse number seven, he says that uh, we should pray. He says we need to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray. In the book of St. James chapter five, verse 16, the word says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman availeth much. In other words, when we're righteous and we pray, something positive is going to happen. We don't know when and where, how it's going to happen, 
But if we are righteous in God's eyes, if our lives are pleasing to him and we pray, something positive is going to happen. A righteous man or a righteous woman is somebody that is clear-minded and self-controlled. Here's a second thing that Peter says that we, can, uh, we should be doing as we wait on the return of Jesus. And this is found in verse number 8. He says we ought to love each other. Matter of fact, he says we are to love deeply. Why? Because he says that love covers a multitude of sins. Multitude meaning a wide variety of different types of sins. And I know that's right because it was the love that God the Father has for humanity that motivated him to let Jesus Christ die for our sins. That's exactly why God the Father let Jesus die for my sins and your sins, because of his love for humanity. Here's a third activity that Peter says we should um, engage in as we wait on the return of the Lord. He says that one is called hospitality, and that's found in verse number nine. Peter says we should engage in hospitality. The Zondaran, um New, New, New International Version Life Application Study Bible. I use that Bible a lot, and it has a lot of good information in it. The Zondaran NIV Life Application Study Bible says that for Christians, the word hospitality does not mean simply entertaining people in our homes. That's one form of hospitality, but it's not just that for Christians. Christians engage in hospitality when we try to help people we don't, and we don't complain about it. In other words, when the Lord presents you with an opportunity during your day to help somebody and you're willing to do it without complaining and murmuring, because, you know, sometimes we are willing to help somebody, but then we kind of get irritated too. Like, I don't know why they, why she called me. Why he have to be around on, this, on the side of the road? You know, I'm trying to get somewhere and I'm in a hurry. You know, but when we're willing to, to stop and take time to help somebody, and it may be just listening to them share with us something that's burdening them on their heart and, and, and praying for them. But whatever it is, when we're willing to do that without complaining and feeling like we're being put upon, that's the type of hospitality that we should engage in as Christians. And, and we're to be genuinely concerned about people. Let, let me share with you an example, share with you an example of a hospitality that's found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. Now, on your own time, I want you to read 31, all, beginning at verse 31, and read all the way down to verse 40. But I'm just going to start with verse number uh, 35. Let me set up, let me, but let me just summarize 31 through 34. Matthew, um, this is the story of when uh, the king, who is Jesus Christ, returns to the earth. He's established his kingdom on the earth. All the nations of the world will be gathered in front of, before him, says Jesus and the angels, and Jesus is the king. All the nations, and he separates the people of the world on his right, right side, left side and on his right side. The people on his right side he calls sheep. The people on his left side he calls goats. And so then he says, um, he says to the sheep on his right side, he says, I want you to uh, come on and take the inheritance, the reward, that God has for you because of how you've lived when you walked on this earth. And he says, and, and he, he said, this is the reason why you have a reward, beginning with verse number 35. Jesus says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. 
When I needed clothes, you clothed me. When I was sick, you looked after me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous, the sheep on the right side, they asked for Jesus. They said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and give you clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then verse number four, then Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did the same thing for me. So that's an example. Those are examples of the type of hospitality that we as Christians should engage in. So like I said, on your own time, read uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40 for yourself. Here's the fourth thing, the final thing I want to share that Peter says that Christians should engage in. That is, he said, and this is found in verse number 10. He says we should be using our spiritual gifts, our God-given gifts to serve others. We should be using our God-given gifts to serve people. Peter says God has given every one of us a gift. You may not feel that you're gifted, but you are, and you may not know what your gifting is until you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has given every human being a gift. And if you want some examples of God's gifts, I want you to read on your own time. Let me just share three scriptures that you can read for yourself. You can go to the book of Romans in chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. And then finally, you can go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Those are all examples, Ephesians 4 and 11. These, these are all examples of the types of gifts that God gives to us. And these are not the only ones, but these, if you go to those three scriptures I just shared, you will find examples of some of the gifts that God gives to us. Peter says that we should faithfully share our gifts. That means we should be committed to sharing our gifts and not be arrogant and undependable or jealous of other people's gifts. I thank God for these younger folks who are here in this sanctuary with me uh, every Sunday that the Lord allows to. April and Derek come on their own. They come uh, uh, and they give of uh, the gift thing that God has given them to help us get this, this, this ministry out. These musicians, they come and give of uh, the gift thing that God has blessed them with. And they're dependable and they do it faithfully and they do it with a glad heart because they want to use their gifts to serve others. I thank God for people being so, so dependable and so faithful in their giving, using of God's gifts. And I want you to understand this. If we are unfaithful with God's gifts, God will shut us down until we repent and we make a change. If we are unfaithful, preachers, whoever we are, the deacons, trustees, church members, if we are unfaithful with God's gifts, in time, he's going to shut us down. He's going he's to close doors or, or, or take away the opportunities for us to use those gifts until we repent and then we make a change. Now, please understand, it's all right if we make a profit or if we, if we benefit from God's gifts. God doesn't have a problem at all if we, are, if we make some type of profit or if we benefit in some way for using his gifts. In fact, God says in his words that there are some positions, namely church, church pastors, 
you know, that should be uh, supported by their gifts should, should be support. They should be receive something to support them. It could be financial, could be other ways, but a payment or a return on using his gift to bless others, right? So God doesn't have a problem if you make a profit. If you get paid to play the piano or play the drums or do, be part of the AV ministry, God doesn't have a pro problem with that at all. But what we should not ever do is, is let making money be our motivation for using God's gifts. We should never let making money be the only reason that we share God's gifts. We should always share God's gifts to bring him glory and to bless people. Hallelujah. Let me say that one more time quickly. We should always use God's gifts to bring him glory and to bless people. Look at verse number 11. Peter says, if our gift is speaking, preaching, teaching, whatever it may be, he says we should speak God's words by the power of the Holy Spirit. If our gift is serving, if our gift is to help others, we should uh, let God's supernatural power give us strength to serve. When we use God's gifts, we should want people to see Jesus Christ and to give God all the glory. Yesterday, and I thought I was going to say anything about this, but I'll say this real quickly. Uh, we had an opportunity. Uh, one of the trustees of the church uh, had a blessing of, of some surplus food that she said, well, and, and she talked to one of the ministers of the church who's over the senior ministry, said, well, let's bless our church family with this food. And so several people met here, and, you know, it was a, it was a big effort, and, you know, the trucks had to be unloaded, and some of the folks that were here were not members of the church. But the point is, we took the time and spent several hours here on yesterday, and then not only, you know, did we get the food out of the trucks, and we got the food put in uh, the bags and boxes to, get, to be distributed to, to the seniors of the church, you know, some people actually went out and delivered the food on top of that. And I, I promise you, when we all got home in the evening, we were probably tired, but throughout the course of the day, we didn't stop for a lunch break or anything like that. We just worked and worked and worked until it got done. Why? Because it was the power of God, the Holy Spirit, because we were trying to do something to be a blessing. That's where we got the strength from. And not only did we bless our church family, we blessed some people in the community as well. So, you know, God, God will give us power to help others if we're motivated by giving him glory and doing something that's pleasing to him. I want, us to, I want to close with this. One day, and it could be this day, Jesus Christ is going to come back for his saints and servants. The rapture is going to happen, and he's going to rapture away those of us who are uh, in Christ at that moment. And then after that one day, he's going to come back and reestablish his kingdom on this earth. That's the second coming. But until Jesus appears in the sky, Christians can live clear-minded and self-controlled. We can do it. It's difficult sometimes. It's challenging, but we can do it. We can, we can um, uh, share Jesus' love and his gifts with each other and with our unsaved family, friends, and neighbors. We can successfully accomplish our divine mission in this sin-filled world. And this is how we do it. Sometimes we know Jesus loves us. We know the Lord loves us. We know he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. But like I said, we all have some kind of spiritual struggle. And sometimes we get discouraged. But when you get discouraged, I want you to try to remember this or go read this for yourself. Psalm 31 verse 4 says, Be of good courage, and he, the Holy Spirit, will strengthen your heart. All who hope 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we keep our hope in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will strengthen our hearts when we're discouraged. Sometimes we need to be forgiven. Amen. Yes, we're saved and sanctified, but we also can have sin in our hearts, in our minds, uh, like anybody else. And if we do sin, we need to be forgiven. Remember what, uh, well, remember what it says in uh, Proverbs 28 and 13. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses his sins and forsakes them will have mercy from the Lord. You confess your sins, Lord, I'm sorry, I sinned, and you forsake them. You, you stop sinning. You stop engaging in that sin. Amen. If you do that, God will show us mercy. And then finally, um, sometimes we need answers. We need solutions. We're not sure what to do next, and we're not sure what lays ahead of us. Well, when that happens to us as Christians, think about my favorite scripture, and I share it all the time because I, I really know that it's the one that helps me make it through life. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord Jesus with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus Christ. That means take everything to Jesus in prayer, and he will direct your paths. And this is what verse number 7 says. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord Jesus and depart from evil. If you do those, if you do those things, that's how we do it. How do we remain clear-minded and uh, um, self-controlled until Jesus returns? Proverbs, 3, Proverbs 31 and 4, we can, that helps us. Um, excuse me, Psalms 31 and 4, that helps us. Proverbs 28 and 13, that helps us. And then Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, that'll help us remain clear-minded and self-controlled until the Lord Jesus returns. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because he died on that cross and he got up again with all power in his hands so that now we, through the God, the hope, with the help of God, the Holy Spirit, can live lives that are pleasing to him. Don't turn back. And this is how we do it. Living for Christ is our goal as Christians. And with that in mind, I want to say to those who may have heard this message this morning and you're not saved, if the Holy Spirit is uh, urging you and encouraging you to give your life to Jesus, if you're willing to, if you'll just pray this simple prayer after me, you will be saved. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you rose from the dead. I ask you now to be my personal Lord and Savior. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are now saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your soul has been saved. Heaven will be your home. Your name is now written on the Lamb's Book of Life. And not only that, you have access to all the promises of God in terms of living the best life possible right now on this side of eternity. So I want to welcome you into the body of Christ and heaven is rejoicing. The word says that even when one gets saved, uh, the angels rejoice at the, uh, heaven itself rejoices at the salvation of one lost soul that comes to know the Lord Jesus. As we prepare to um, end our service today, again, I just want to uh, remind everyone to uh, consider 
putting, making fasting part of your spiritual walk. Now, again, not saying fast for so many days, and you, 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 you figure that out between you and the Lord. But I'm asking you because it's so important, along with our reading the Bible uh, daily, if we can, or often, along with us praying daily, uh, we also need to add fasting uh, to encourage us and to strengthen us spiritually. Fasting will help us be clear-minded to hear from the Lord and to receive the ideas, uh, the creative thoughts and ideas that the Lord will give us. And fasting will help us live a life of self-control because we will kill the wrong desires of our flesh through fasting. So I want to just ask you to consider adding that to your spiritual walk. With that in mind, I'm going to um, give us the benediction now, and then we will be dismissed. And now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit, rest, rule, and abide with us henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Let the church say Hallelujah. Hallelujah.